Hey guys, it's Mishi. We're working on the final episode of the season, which will be coming your way very soon. But today, as a special bonus, we're going to share a behind-the-scenes peek into the way episodes come together. Yes, it's the How the Sausage is Made episode. Or, as we like to call it, the Stories We Killed special. Now, over the course of this season, we will have told 27 stories. But those 27 stories represent just a tiny fraction of the stories that came across our radar in 2020. As you can imagine, when people know you're in the storytelling business, everyone has a story for you. We get countless pitches from friends, from listeners, from organizations, from publicists, and most of all, from our families. Just so all of you guys know, I mean, I mean Mishi knows this, I probably get an average of like 1.5 pitches a day from, uh, from my father. <laughs> and of course, everyone on our team of producers has his or her own story antennae up and running. We read a ton of blogs, follow promising social media groups, scour local newspapers and magazines, talk to people. We take notes, dream dreams, write up summaries, and then bring all these ideas to our pitch meetings. Cool. So you think there is a story here? Yeah, I mean, it's not like high stakes drama, but I think it'll be kind of a more beautiful postcard story. But then like nothing. There's no, the story doesn't go anywhere. There's nothing surprising. There's nothing I can imagine other than emotion. I disagree. Like now that I'm thinking about it, how does it affect her moving on from this event? Well, the, I mean, one big pitfall is that it seems like this is like a very disgruntled, liminal character. Right. I mean, he's like, a, he's an anti-hero, not a hero. Okay, moving on. Only a small percentage of the ideas make it out of the pitch meetings. And even most of those stories won't make it to the finish line. Because like everything else in life, stories die. And we are the killers. We killed that, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. burn it. We kill stories for all kinds of reasons and at various different stages along the way. Some fall apart almost immediately. People don't want to talk, key facts turn out to be wrong, the story just isn't as promising as it seemed. Others get axed after we've spent months recording multiple interviews, writing full drafts, even scoring music. But for some reason the end result just doesn't feel right. Now, declaring a story dead is always a bummer, but it isn't necessarily a bad thing. To begin with, we save you a lot of mediocre material. So this is vanilla, and what I'm trying to do is create the ice cream revolution. Roasted caramelized bananas. These are Uzbeki raisins. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Wow. But the real boom that you're going to get is in the raisins. You want to try this much? I'll, I'll try that. Okay. Oh, I like, I like that one a lot. That's good. You want more of that? No. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, just give me a little bit. Here's a little bit. And secondly, I like to think of it as a sign of professionalism. We did our best, tried something cool, took a chance, and, well, it just didn't pan out. The ultra-Orthodox man from Bechemish didn't, surprise, surprise, want to go on tape about the gay sex he had in his yeshiva. The mysterious grave in the Galilee and the love triangle story behind it were super intriguing, but all the central characters were already dead. The Bedouin camel racer from the Negev turned out to be a walking cliché. And on and on and on. 
hundreds of story cadavers along the way. And with me to discuss those story cadavers is none other than Skylar Inman. Hey Skylar. Hey Mishi, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Pretty well. So Skylar, you joined Israel's story in early 2020, and if I'm not mistaken, your very first story was killed. That's correct. Uh, my first assignment <laughs> for Israel's story was to tell the tale of a very famous Israeli sandwich, sabich. So tell everyone what a sabich is. Well, it's boiled egg, fried eggplants, hummus, salad, trina, and um, there is a Iraqi sauce, yellow sauce. It's called amba. That's Guy Sasson. Okay, my name is uh, Guy, Guy Sasson, and I um, work in the Sabich. We can call it uh, the original Sabich. The original Sabich is the name of Guy's restaurant. It's this tiny hole-in-the-wall place in Ramat Gan, which Guy runs with his twin brother. Okay. Sometimes they ask, do you have falafel or shawarma? I say, no, we have uh, Sabich. And according to their family, Guy's dad, Yaakov Sasson, along with his business partner, invented Sabich. Wait, you can invent Sabich? That was also my question. Because for someone to claim that they invented Sabich, it's kind of like someone saying they invented the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> so to me, it sounded like a great story. So what happened? Well, as soon as I showed up to Guy's house in Cholon, I knew that I was in for a ride. All around his apartment building was construction scaffolding. And for people who may not have recorded before, construction noise is like the kiss of death in our business. We make a huge effort to record in the absolute quietest conditions. I'm sorry to interrupt. Can we maybe close the door? Because the because of the sound. Are those pigeons? I think that was my stomach growling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. You have very good like ears. A pigeon. <laughs> And so I was, you know, frankly, freaking out. And I asked Guy, is there renovation going on in the building? And he said, no, no, not yet. They haven't even lifted a hammer. They probably won't start renovations for another few weeks. And... It started 61, 1961, two years after they start to sell uh, whole week. So 63? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, They're starting to do. No, no, no. Noise. I told you the other the other noise it didn't was uh, in my building. The noise now it's for Tama. The other noise is. Uh, it's good that they decided to start today. Yeah. As luck would have it, pretty much right as I started to talk with Guy, the renovations began, and they didn't, you know, start slowly. It was with energy. Okay. <laughs> so Guy and I eventually drove to his mom's house, which was only a few minutes away, and we continued the interview from her bomb shelter. Uh, it was quite enough, for sure, but the kind of unexpected and unsettling, you know, change of scenery made me feel a bit flustered, and the interview just didn't dig as deeply as I was hoping it would. 
So before I left, I told Guy that we would probably have to schedule another interview, and he replied with this sort of unenthusiastic, eh, if I have time, maybe. <laughs> Even then, I think the story probably would have been in hot water, but a few weeks later, Corona arrived. And with that, the chances that we'd actually be able to finish the story kind of just evaporated into thin air. And what was it like having your first story killed? Um, I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't fun. <laughs> At first, it was hard not to take it personally and kind of feel like it was a failure. But the more I heard from other producers on the team, I realized it's kind of just par for the course. Yeah, totally. And Skylar, for this special, you talked to some of the other producers on the team and asked them to choose their favorite killed story of the season. That's correct. I did. All right. So take it away. So, Yosh, as we always ask all of our interviewees, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Yoshi Fields. I'm a producer at Israel Story, and I'm not used to being interviewed. <laughs> so what is your favorite killed story of the season? So basically, we started looking into the story a couple of years ago now, I think. And the story is basically of these two roommates who can't get along. Uh, they're fighting about everything, about who's doing the dishes, about how they're using their common spaces. And it's actually between these two women who are in their 60s. And they're basically like apples and oranges, as different as you get. Uh, one is religious and is very into following rules. She used my pot to do her dog's food so that afterwards I could not use my, my pot. The other one is into like free-flowing spirituality and into breaking rules. She was insistent. You have to do that, 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 like this, you know, like a Gestapo. And so sort of the idea was we wanted to approach the story and see if we could follow these two women and hear their stories and see if we might help bring them together in a way, try to help them see the other side and, and try to work things out. And really, I think they were open to it. Like, they agreed to sit down together. And how did that go? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go well at all. And in fact, like, they, they could barely look at each other. I think it took them, like, a good hour or more into the interview or into the mediation, if you will, until they looked at each other. And even then, it was like, really, there was no, there was no room for seeing the other person's side. She has absolutely no respect for, for someone else. She does as she pleases. It's not the way that a human being behaves when he's at someone else's place. They were really stuck in their way of seeing things. Margaret, for everybody who makes Aliyah, it is hard. Not only you, because God is molding all of us. Israel is okay for me. It's you who are not. Don't put God inside of that. And maybe that leads to sort of how it uh, how it sort of fell apart. Right. Tell me about that. I think there are like two main reasons. One was there were all these big themes that like sort of begged almost to be looked at. Like what exactly? So I think religious or secular issues are some of the you know hottest debated conflicts in Israel today. So here was this opportunity to look at it in such a minute way, right? Like literally these two individuals fighting things over in the kitchen. Yeah. But the bottom line is those bigger ideas didn't really hold water at the end of the day. And also, these are two grown women, right? Like they're not 20-year-olds forced to live together in a college dorm. So there was the obvious question of why are these two grown people who seem to really not like each other staying together for months and months and months? And ultimately, we couldn't really find a satisfying answer. Yeah, I remember. It was like they didn't even reflect on it. 
like living together wasn't even a choice they were making. Yeah. And the second reason I would say that things sort of fell apart is that as a storyteller, right, we're always looking for, uh, you know, a big story arc or some personal development or reflections. And that's really not what happened. And after a year, finally, one of them got really fed up and moved out. Uh, we talked to them after the fact, and they both were sort of still looking at it the same way. Oh, I'm sick of Franali. I'm just sick. I just want to throw up, and I don't want to hear from her anymore. I am just thanking God that I'm having been able to survive all these things. Like there was really no movement of like, oh, I hear you, you're saying this, and I feel this, or there was just, there was none of that. We'll be right back. And now back to our episode. Hello. Hello, hello. Hey, Skylar, how's it going? Good, how are you? Very well, thanks. Why don't you introduce yourself to begin with? Sure, my name is Zev Levi. I am the managing producer at Israel Story. All right, and which story did you choose? Uh, It never got a name, but we called it Animal Holes. The pitch of the story is there are a group of Israeli government officials whose job it is to go to Israel's borders and put holes in them. (laughs) I thought that was so out of left field that that was interesting enough to follow wherever it would go, that that is an interesting premise. And why exactly are they making these holes? The holes are there to prevent um, animals inbreeding, basically. If you separate groups of animals from one another, then they just kind of develop all the weakest, you know, recessive degenerative genes, and it's bad for the environment. If you want a border, say against what? If you want it against people, then let's make a border against people. It doesn't have to be against animals. So why did we never hear the story of these border hole makers. Yochai looked at that and said, I don't think that that's crazy. Obviously, there's going to be someone who's going to try and preserve nature in the face of this security threat. And before the second interview, Mishi, who I think agrees with Yochai on this, said to me, make sure that your interviewee is funny. That's what we need. There's lots of extinctions and lots of uh, changes, and there's a biodiversity crisis. It wasn't funny. It wasn't punchy. It wasn't, you know, engaging on that level. It was, it was just interesting. An Israel Story piece needs to be more than just an interesting series of events. I mean, it needs that, but it can't just be that. The listener needs to form some sort of relationship with the person that we interview. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Yochai Meital. I'm one of the producers of Israel Story. And what is your favorite killed story of the year? So I sent you tape from uh, my interview with Ari Nagel. And who is Ari Nagel for the uninitiated? So Ari Nagel is a New Yorker. He has a very strong New York accent. You can hear it right away. Hi, my name is Ari Nagel. I'm a math professor in Brooklyn. And he is uh, somebody who has fathered... Many, many children all over the world, including several in Israel. I have four brothers, two sisters, and a lot of kids. How many kids do you have? I have 33 kids. The last one was born in May. And the next one is due in August in Taiwan. And the one after that will be due in Israel in September. Oh, my goodness. And then the one after that is in October in Newark, New Jersey. 
Okay, so Ari's actually known by another name as well, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid it because he doesn't like it. He doesn't <laughs> like that name, but he, he is known as the Sperminator. I'd rather I wasn't called Sperminator. You know, I just want to be called something that doesn't have sperm in my name. You know, that's not too much to ask. Why not just call me yeah. dad? Yeah, I, I do believe the New York Post actually gave him that uh, unwanted title. To be fair, I don't think anybody has ever liked the name that the New York Post has given them. <laughs> that's probably true. So what was the Israel story angle of the pitch? Not only was he Jewish and actually from an Orthodox, very Orthodox background, even though his, you know, very open, shocking uh, actions are not exactly in line with uh, the teachings of the Talmud, should we say. But he's also, you know, he has good connections to Israel, including a few kids that he's sired in the Holy Land. And some of them, by the way, are like in Orthodox circles and others are like in, you know, lesbian Tel Aviv circles. So I was just imagining these two children of Ari Nagel um, growing up maybe, you know, a block away from each other or, you know, a neighborhood away from each other, but in such different realities. That just seemed like such a, like a crazy thought to me. There's a moment in the tape where Ari actually sort of propositions you to become a part of the story. <laughs> I'm actually going to be in Israel in August. I guess if you're going, do you mind taking it? It's less than three ounces, so you'd be able to carry it on the plane with you. Okay, what is Ari actually asking you to do here? So um, actually at the time of this interview, Ari was helping um, this Israeli lesbian couple conceive. And I mean, Ari's, you know, he's a math professor. He can't just hop on a plane every time the intended woman was ovulating. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were looking for basically a, 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 a semen courier, I guess you could say. <laughs> the only thing is you have to keep it body temperature so that it'll stay alive. Maybe you could stick it up your tachat to keep it, to keep it the body temp is probably the best way. Yes. And then you could transport it that way. But don't worry, I'll wrap it up tight so it's, we don't want it to leak in there. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, you get into really interesting situations in this line of work sometimes. So why didn't it become a story in the end? Oh my gosh. I mean, actually listening back to this tape, I'm also wondering that um, <laughs> I, I feel like we should we should revive this story. Um, no, I mean, honestly, I, I really enjoyed meeting Ari. He was a, an amazing and, and um, funny and compelling uh, guy to interview. So I really had a good time with this. Um, but if I'm trying to think more from an editor's perspective, why we ended up killing this piece, I think, well, I mean, and it's, it's weird to say this, but I have three kids and one wife, and I feel like I have more drama in my life than Ari has in his life with, you know, dozens of kids and many, many baby mamas around vying for his attention and uh, trying to get him to come to birthdays, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so really, there was a problem of just not enough conflict and tension, I guess. Um, I mean, Ari really is one of the most chill people I've ever met. But again, I mean, you never know. Sometimes killed stories do end up uh, coming back from the dead. Skylar Inman produced that taste of the many, many stories you didn't hear this year. Now, most killed stories never see the light of day. But occasionally we do go back to our story graveyard, remember a lovely piece that just wasn't right at the time, and resurrect it. This season, for instance, we told the story of Hodaya Zulai, the horse trainer from the settlement of Netzarim in the Gaza Strip. And that was a pitch that had been killed back in 2011, only to resurface nearly a decade later. 
So, who knows, maybe one of the pieces will, as Yochai just said, be revived. And maybe not. In any event, we have one more Not Killed episode coming your way soon, before we end the season. So, till then, Shalom Shalom, and Yalla Bye!
זה כזה מצב נוראי בשביל להתעורר ולראות את זה. אני יודעת שאני התעוררתי. אני התעוררתי באיזושהי צורה.